today on State of Tel Aviv and Beyond, we speak with political science professor Gidon Rahat of the Hebrew University of Jerusalem and the Israel Democracy Institute. Professor Rahat sees the deep turmoil throughout Israel as a clash of culture. As he puts it, a conflict between the Israelis and the Jews. Stay with us for a fascinating conversation with Professor Gidon Rahat. This is the State of Tel Aviv and Beyond, the podcast that brings you the straight-up, unfiltered story. What's really going down in Israel? Politics, economics, religion and state, lots of conflict. I'm your host, Vivian Berkovich, former Canadian ambassador to Israel. We're on the street with the folks who live here and have skin in the game. Yalla, let's dive in. I spoke with Professor Rahat on Wednesday, two days after the Knesset had passed the so-called reasonableness law. The country was on edge, waiting for passage of the bill on either Monday or Tuesday. Until the very last moment, it was high drama, with MKs huddled in conversations throughout the chamber, trying to find a way to forestall or change the vote. The law passed, and all hell broke loose throughout Israel with protests carrying on well into Tuesday morning. Everything is now heightened, including police violence, and particularly in Tel Aviv. Tel Aviv is overwhelmingly secular and the unquestioned culture and business capital of Israel. It also has a great beach. Now, to our chat with Professor Rahat. Good morning, Professor Gidon Rahat of Hebrew University of Jerusalem. Israel Democracy Institute, political science professor, with a lot on your mind these days. Thank you so much for making time to join the state of Tel Aviv. I'm actually happy to be here and to spread the word of democracy. Let's get to it then, shall we? I have to start with a quote. And what you said is, this is a conflict between the Israelis and the Jews. What did you mean when you said that? Well, the Israelis are the people who tried to build here a new type of identity that have to, to do with having a state, having to do with having a democracy, a civil identity of a new Jewish state, having a Jewish state because history tells us that the Jews should have a state. So these are the Israelis, while the Jews are the ones that are looking back and looking more, their ideas more about recreating identity from thousands of years ago. And unfortunately, not some of them without blending modern democracy, but just returning to the old theocracy that I'm not sure was that existed then, but they want it to exist now. When you talk about the groups that are trying to recreate some iteration or version of the past. Who are you speaking about and what do you think they're trying to recreate? Unfortunately, it has to do a lot these days with religion. I mean, the more religious you are, the more you are likely to be on that side. The more secular you are, you are more likely to be on the other side. But, you know, there are some people, there are some religious people that are against this this school. There are some secular people that support this school. For, for other reasons, but if you look at the, the picture and you want to make it simple, I think this is the, the main issue here. You can see that this is a cooperation between the more extreme settlers, 
the ultra-Orthodox, most of them, and also the Likud that used to be and still have in its name, it's the Liberal National Party. I think it gave up on the Liberal and now it's the Nationalistic Party of Israel. Otherwise, you cannot explain what's going on right now. It is. The transformation in Likud over the last 10, 20 years has been quite incremental, but it's extraordinary. And the party of today doesn't really resemble what existed in the 90s or in the 80s at all. That's my uh, well, suggestion. The, the, the party today is not a party. It's about Netanyahu. And right. Netanyahu used to be actually part of the liberal side in Likud. He was the one that 10 years ago stopped these ideas that are right now adopted. He stopped them. He didn't let them go. He didn't. He, he said that he wouldn't go with it. He was oh, he was the one that called Begin and Meridor back to his party. He called Barak into his government. He called Lapid. It's a different Netanyahu. And the only good explanation that people give is because of his trials. He's changed his allies and is now ally with people who want to, uh, at the end of the day, destroy the judicial system of Israel. Do you see this as a right-left divide or a democracy halacha divide? I'm not ready to see it as a right-left divide because I know people from the right who are totally democratic. I will tell you in a very simple way. When you look at it from a right-wing perspective, you cannot imagine that it can happen. A true conservative, Professor Rahat says, believes in a strong court that upholds the fundamental values upon which a democracy is based. And in his view, the reasonableness law and the many laws that are expected to follow will result in a form of government where a bare majority of the Knesset wields absolute power. There will be no countervailing institutional voice. And if we look at the extremist makeup of the governing coalition, we can assume that the liberal democratic ideals that many Israelis cherish are not as important to the Jews as he calls them, referring really to the ultra-Orthodox and extremist branch of religious Zionists. Following the passing of the reasonableness law, in fact, new polls in Israel have made it clear that the majority of the population, including many Likud supporters, oppose the judicial reform. Their reasons vary. Some are flatly opposed because they believe it will destroy democracy, while others believe that some reform is necessary, but all are horrified by the putsch-like manner in which the ruling coalition has so hurriedly pushed its agenda, contemptuous of the outrage and the pleas to take the time to build a national consensus on such an important issue. Even if the ruling coalition is 100% correct in its goals, which no government can ever claim to be, is it worth destroying the nation? Ideological, committed, disciplined, right-wing partisans, says Rahat, seek continuity and stability. They recoil from abrupt and sweeping change, which is exactly what Israel's judicial reform has shown itself to be. For a more in-depth discussion on the reasonableness bill, Please listen to the State of Tel Aviv podcast, published on July 24th and entitled The Reasonableness Bill, What Separates Democratic Israel 
from the abyss. State of Tel Aviv is supported by listeners and readers like you. We are an independent media organization, and in order for us to create this content, we need your support. Please visit our website at stateoftelaviv, all one word, dot com. That's stateoftelaviv.com, and consider becoming a paid subscriber. You will also find some fabulous print articles providing superb background analysis and opinion on what's going down. Each supporter makes a huge difference. Thanks for being here. And now, back to the episode. But, you know, many people say that the reaction to the passage of the so-called reasonableness law the other day is hysteria. Everyone's hysterical. What do you say in response? Well, if you, you know, if it would stand on its own, maybe I would agree, but this is not, this is just the beginning. The beginning, indeed. When the coalition government first introduced the judicial reform package into the Knesset in the winter session, it was in the form of a huge, overwhelming omnibus bill. Fundamental values and state institutions were to be reimagined and reconstituted in such an alarming and fast manner that caused Israelis to react fiercely. Now, says the government, no big deal. We just passed an inconsequential law, the reasonableness law. Nothing there. It really will have no impact. So what's all the fuss? Which begs the question, of course, if it's so inconsequential, why rush it through? And the answer to that is because all the other laws in the judicial reform agenda are sitting on the order paper, having already passed first reading, and could become law in a flash. PM Netanyahu now says that he wants to negotiate. He wants consensus, but no one believes him any longer. What he wants is power, and when his reforms are passed, he will have it. Absolutely. And to achieve that, he is very deliberately stoking deeply entrenched divisive issues and societies, pitting Israelis against Jews. I want to refocus on what I think was your your very, very astute distillation of what is going on in Israel. This is a conflict between the Israelis and the Jews. And when we were speaking before, earlier, you spoke about national values and institutions of a proper liberal democratic state. Tell me about that. Well, I want to make a point, which is that I think that the people who now lead the reform, they don't like the state. They do not love the state. They do not like the state. They actually maybe even hate the state. And I'll, I'll tell you why I think so. I mean, this is, you know, there are right-wingers. So as far, so immediately you think they are patriotic or whatever. That's that's totally problematic when you do a very cold analysis of what's going on here. First, we know that the state is all about a monopoly, a, a legitimate use of the monopoly on force. That's what states are all about. In failed states, you don't have a, a monopoly on force. Successful states, you have a monopoly on force. You usually do not use it because they are so legitimate, so you don't need to use the force. But people understand that the only force that can be used internally is the police, externally is the the military, and that's it. Nobody else. If you do use force, you're a criminal. (laughs) That's it. 
Now, the problem here is that they are trying to divide the military. They're trying to divide the police, different forces, which means that they hurt the monopoly on force. Not to talk about the situation which they got these days with the military, with some people from the military that say that they are not ready to take part in this move to a non-democratic state. So that's one. Before we move on, it is important to note that 13% of the Israeli population is ultra-Orthodox, and this community controls 18 out of 120 seats in the Knesset. In this community, anti-Zionism is quite acceptable. The ultra-Orthodox regard God as the highest authority, not the state. They live and operate on the basis of rabbinic law and authority and resent state incursions and laws that presume to supplant halakhic religious law. We return now to Professor Rahat, who explains the second core value of a democratic state, which is the articulation and support of clear democratic values. Second is values. You have the values of the state of Israel. When, where can you find them? In the Declaration of Independence, if somebody reads the Israeli Declaration of the Independence, it's a wonderful piece that was signed by people from the Communist Party to the Religious Party to the Revisionists. I mean, this is amazing. And you take it and you read it, and it has nothing to do with, with this type of so-called reform. Not only this, okay, if they really love the state, Okay, so ask them, hug this document and make it into a basic law. No, no way. Too much democracy in it, even though the word democracy do not appear there, but so much democracy over there, so much values, and you wouldn't believe it, but also connected with Judaism, with genuine Judaism. So, I mean, you take this, it's amazing, and they ignore it, they're against it. Professor Rahat's observation regarding the Declaration of Independence is critical. Ultra-Orthodox Jews do not see the modern state of Israel as a legitimate sovereign entity. Only God and the Messiah may resurrect the ancient kingdom of Israel. The secular state, in their eyes, is a temporary, heretical abomination. But they are prepared to receive economic benefit from the state. They also see no reason to participate in defending the state, by serving in the IDF, for example. A handful of Haredi men and women choose to serve in the IDF every year, and good for them, but it's a very, very small number. Why? Because Haredi take the view that their prayer and devotion to God is what protects Israel, not the army. Professor Rahat third overarching comment is that a state is the sum of its institutions, and this government has made clear its loathing of Israel's professional public servants. They disparage the judiciary in the coarsest manner and language, the central bank professionals, soldiers, academics. Interestingly, the Israeli judiciary is so highly regarded worldwide for its excellence and independence, yet it is demonized by Prime Minister Netanyahu and his coalition partners. Third thing is, of course, the hate for state institutions. 
the the idea that you have to 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 change state institutions. I mean, what is the state if not its, its institutions? And I must say, as an Israeli, that I'm not saying that our administration, police, everything is perfect. But if you look at the state that established was established over the years, we have some of our institutions at least are amazing. Our central bank. The Minister of Treasury, I mean, I have some criticism on them, but they are professionals. I mean, you cannot agree with them, but they are totally professional. And we have a lot of professionals all over, and they are trying to, to destroy this professionalism. They're just trying to destroy what was built here for 75 years. So how can you say that they love the state? What, what exactly do they love? I think they love an imaginary state or they have another vision of a state, but they don't like what we have here. At the heart of Rahat's contention is the assertion that the coalition government hates the state and is intent on remodeling it into something quite different, something that aligns with values that are not consistent with those articulated in the Declaration of Independence. For a more detailed discussion of the remarkable historical moment, that led to the Declaration of Independence of the State of Israel on May 14, 1948, I refer you to the State of Tel Aviv and Beyond podcast, Episode 10, which focuses on the issues included in the Declaration of Independence and why. You can find it on our website, stateoftelaviv.com. But back to Professor Rahat now and his perspective as to how the judicial reforms being advocated by the coalition government today threaten the vibrant modern state of Israel. How do you think that the reforms threaten that? Well, the reforms threaten this because what they do is that they stress the rule of the majority. That's it. The majority, the tyranny of the majority, which means that you do not respect the rights of any minority. Now, when you say minority, people, some people tend to think that they belong always to the majority. So I, we must stress, each one of us belongs in some things. In, we belong to a majority. Maybe it's comfortable, but there are things that any one of us belongs to a minority. And any one of us would be really mad and would feel that even a majority cannot take a specific right or a specific thing from him, even if the majority think differently. So that's what it's all about. It's all about restraints that's supposed to stop some things that the majority should not do, even if it is the majority, and something that it, maybe it should do, but it should work very hard to change. That's the whole idea. We need a balance there, and only a country with institutions, with different institutions that have the power to block each other, to have the power to veto each other, can, can really fulfill the promise. I'm telling my students all the time, democracy is all about regulated conflict. In democracy, you take conflict as a given because you understand that people have different vision, different values, different interests. Harmony would be achieved only in ways that Stalin and Hitler and others try to achieve them by killing people who think differently, who look differently, who belong to other nations, people, religions, whatever. So in order to keep this regulated conflict, you need 
checks and balances. You need different forces within your different institutions that will uh, check and balance each other. Otherwise, you stop fulfilling this idea that we have in the Declaration of Independence of freedoms, of freedom of religion, of freedom from religion, whatever. The disconnect, or as you put it, the hatred among large segments of the pro-reform constituency for state institutions. Can you be more specific about that? Who do you think and why do you think there is a segment, a significant segment of the pro-reform population that hates Israel's state institutions? What do you base that very sharp comment on? It is, there is, uh, this notion is actually promoted by some, you can call them intellectuals, I'm not sure. It has to do with the idea of the deep state. Everything that is wrong in Israel, that's what these people say, have to do with the deep state. The state institutions that wouldn't let us fulfill our great vision, the courts, the central bank, the military with its way of thinking, the police, the other administrators, all of these professionals, they should be, they should do what we tell them. There is nothing like a professional point of view. There is nothing like reasonableness. It's all about our vision. So that's the idea. Once you say it, once you blame the deep state, so how can you like, you don't really like the state. Now, if you are coming from a different point of view, you are not saying that everything is okay, but you are saying, I'm going to cooperate, I'm going to make state institutions better. Among the many laws primed for quick passage in the Knesset is the override law, which would allow the legislature to override or nullify any decision of the Supreme Court with which it disagrees. This is the death knell of an independent judiciary in Israel and among the key conditions of the ultra-Orthodox Haredim to support this government. They have made it clear that they must get the override clause, and because their support of the government is critical to its survival, the override clause may well pass. It would effectively give the ultra-Orthodox and any party in the coalition government carte blanche to control all national institutions. Now, back to Professor Rahat for his views on this. Talk about the override. That's another very important aspect of the reform and the hatred of state institutions, particularly the court. You may say that in some cases, probably the Knesset should have a right to override the court. And now you are starting to get into the question in which fields and then what majority. Now, what what the the Yariv Levin wanted, for example, is Yariv Levin, the Minister of Justice, he said, a majority of 61. This is a joke. Come on, 61 is the coalition. This is the tyranny of the majority. And if the court is supposed to express the opinions to, 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 to represent the minority or even represent the majority, but not the existing majority, but as I said, the former generation, the future generation that the top that the court is talking in their name. So the majority should be much more qualified, 70, 80, I don't know. That's that these are the numbers that should be adopted, if at all, and only as I said, for specific 
things, not for everything. Some some things cannot be taken from a person in a democracy, even with consent of all the parliament. I think we can agree about about a few specific things. I think it's important to point out as well that the again the constituency within the government that is championing the override clause, as we call it here, is the Haredi bloc. It's the ultra-Orthodox, and they made it a condition in their coalition agreement with Likud that they have a number of conditions, but one of the more important conditions to them is that the override clause be passed. Why are the ultra-Orthodox so focused on the override clause? If the court is defamed, and the Knesset can pass any law it wishes with a bare majority, that solves many issues the ultra-Orthodox have with Israeli democracy. In this reimagined Israel, there is no role for a court or any oversight of the exercise of majority power in the legislature. This coalition government often says, the people have spoken. They voted us in. There was an election. Well, not quite. This judicial reform initiative was actually not put to the electorate. It was articulated only in the religious Zionist policy platform. They hold 14 out of 120 seats in the Knesset. The broad population never endorsed this reform. Even some Israelis who believe there is merit in reform, and that is a majority of the population, by the way, are horrified by the non-democratic manner in which it's being rammed through the legislative process. So when people refer to this as a soft coup, they're deadly serious. Israelis understand that there is negotiation required in order to cobble together a governing coalition. But they do not understand that wiggle room in negotiation to extend to the dismantling of key state institutions which reflect core national values and security imperatives as expressed in the Declaration of Independence. We are trying to do our best to keep the judges away, and we're trying to respect them for their professionalism rather than for their political stance. If you look at the Israeli court, there are uh, right now also right-wing and religious judges, and, and what really frustrates some of the people in the government right now is that they make decisions most of the time with the judges who are supposed to be liberal and left-wing. Most of the times, these people agree. And they agree because most of the decisions have to do with being a reasonable person, being, I mean, there, is, the, the dif- there are differences now. Actually, one of the most interesting decisions that was made was the time of the disengagement, the people who were taken from the settlements in Gaza Strip, they appealed to the court. And the only judge that that made a decision against the disengagement was the most activist judge. And, you know, the right wing in general is against activist judges. And But so you can see how Life are complicated, how you cannot have, you need the court to make decisions that are beyond this left right, that are that have to do with values that are beyond the, the, the things that happens at a specific day or the needs, the political needs of this side or that side. And to so, understand, and to understand that in a democracy, there's 
there's always going to be this tension. This tension will always exist between the court and the legislature. That's the nature of the beast. Also, and, again, regulated conflict. You want harmony, go to, you know, go to a dictatorship. And if, if you agree with the dictator, otherwise you will not find harmony. Professor Rahat, this has been so interesting. And I really, really appreciate your time, especially at such a busy time. This is a conflict between the Israelis and the Jews. I think that the Israelis are also Jews and the Jews are also Israelis. They just have to find a, a way to live together for the next 75 years. Agreed. Thank you. Wednesday evening marked the onset of a very solemn day in the Jewish calendar, Tisha B'Av, remembering the destruction of the first and second temples. The timing of Tisha B'Av falling so closely behind the passing of the reasonableness law was hugely resonant. Many Israelis worry that what they refer to as the Third Temple Era, Habayit Hashlishi, when the Jewish people enjoy sovereignty in the modern state of Israel, may soon become a thing of the past, and they are determined to save the nation they love. I hope that the Israelis succeed in this endeavor, and that the Third Temple Era has a long and prosperous future. And on that note, thanks for being with us today and supporting the state of Tel Aviv. State of Tel Aviv is supported by listeners and readers like you. We are an independent media organization, and in order for us to create this content, we need your support. Please visit our website at stateoftelaviv.com. That's stateoftelaviv.com and consider becoming a paid subscriber. You will also find some fabulous print articles providing superb background analysis and opinion on what's going down. Each supporter makes a huge difference. Thank you so much for your support.